Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I was thinking uh, when I was preparing this, I remember a way back, you're uh, thinking, I'm in primary school, a way in the 80s. He looks so young. There's absolutely no way. But actually, I started primary school in P1. Eh, sorry. <laughs> I started primary school in P1. It didn't do me much good. But I started in 1980 in primary school at P1. And eh, one of the biggest things that I can remember, apart from learning how to count, was that, eh, the frequent disagreements that would take place between pupils. And the disagreements would often be about an item, something that somebody had brought into school, and it was like who that item belonged to, and they would argue about who it, who it belonged to. And let me tell you, if you are under 16, when I was at primary school, we did not have any iPhones. We did not have any AirPods or Apple Watches or any of that stuff. Apple wasn't even invented then. It was always arguments over something simple like a football or a pencil case, or a pencil, or something that somebody had brought in from home. And you can guess what happened. Two pupils would claim that that particular item belonged to them. And then arguments ensued. But it was always quite good. If it was the boys who were arguing about a particular item, it was easy to fix. Because we went to school at Hall Glen Primary, and if you know that school, there's an ash pitch. And down that back of the ash pitch is a big hill. And as you went down there, none of the staff could see you. So the two boys would go down there, they would fight it out, the winner would take home the item. But let me tell you, it wasn't a very good way because not always the person who won the fight actually owned the item in the first place. But if it was the girls though, oh man, that was a whole different story. That argument would go on for days and days and days and days. Typical girl stuff. Like days and days and days. They can't just have a fight and then be pals again. They need to keep dragging it and dragging it and dragging it. It's true. And so that would go on for days and days and days, arguing about a pencil case. It belongs to me. And then eventually, the teacher and then the head teacher would have to intervene in the, the argument. And usually when the threat of the parents coming in, and let me tell you, they couldn't have just phone the parents' mobile and ask them to come in. They had to send a letter home. It's like dark agey stuff. They had to send a letter home. And usually when that happened, the real owner of the item would be it resolved because the person who was lying would eventually admit that it was not their item in the first place and uh, it was returned to their rightful owner. But the question that was at hand in those moments was a question of ownership. Who owns it? Who owns it? And you know what else is true? It's true in our own lives. Who owns us? Whose are we? Sometimes I think we like to think that we are our own. It's my life and everyone and everything I have is mine. It's all mine. But the Christian worldview would tell us different. The Christian worldview tells us that God owns it all. That we, you and I, belong to God. That we have been bought with a price, and therefore everything we are and everything we have is His. And at those times, we'll all have those moments of truth scenarios in our life, a moment of truth scenario. It's in these moments that our decisions will reveal what we actually believe about whose we are. 
all of us face those decisions that we have to make, and it will reveal whose we are. See, in those moments, our decision will show us the truth about who we believe we really belong to. And I have a really clear moment of truth situation in my life, a moment where I had to make a decision about whether I really believed that I belonged to God or not. You know, I, I, was, I got saved over 20 years ago, and that moment when I gave my life to Jesus, it was pretty soon after that that I knew Jesus had placed a call on my life. I had no idea what it was. And it took a long time for that to be worked out. And I think part of the reason for that was that because God had so much work to do in me. I was one of the boys down behind the hill fighting. Like I had so much ragged edges in me that God took a long time to, to, to try and smooth it up a bit. And he's still working, still smoothing it up. So it took me a long time uh, to get to that. And up to that point in my life, when I gave my life to Jesus, I was absolutely 100% career and more importantly, money focused. I wanted to rise up in the company I worked for as fast as I could. And I wanted to make as much money as I could in the process. That was what was important to me. But actually, when I gave my life to Jesus, I started serving Him by being the best employee that I could be because that is my way of worshiping in that situation. If you're an employee, I'll tell you, you need to be the best employee you can be. And that's my worship to Jesus by being that best employee. Those things came by simply being the best employee, by worshiping Jesus in my workplace. But that's a different story, a different message for another day. But when it finally came to that moment when I had to leave my job after 19 years to go into ministry, I had a moment where I had to choose who I belonged to. Do you know, I can remember in that moment I'd handed my notice in. My boss at the time was away in, in, uh, in Texas, uh, Houston, and I handed my notice in, and I was working my four weeks' notice period. And I get a phone call out of the blue from a guy who worked in an oil company up in Aberdeen, who was a partner company of ours, and they had, an un, had this rule in place that they could not poach, poach staff from each other's company. But I had handed my notice in. I was fair game then. And he phones me up out of the blue. And it's like, Stephen, Stephen, I want to meet you for lunch today. Let's go for lunch. I'm in Falkirk. And this guy never came to Falkirk. He sent his people, his minions, if you like, from Aberdeen down to come to Falkirk. He never came. And he phoned me up and said, Stephen, I want to meet you. Let's go for lunch. So we're there having lunch. And he, he's sitting opposite me. And he says, Stephen, I heard you're leaving. I said, that's right. And he says, I want to offer you a job. And he told me the salary that he was offering me to go and work for him, I water in salary, a six-figure salary, to go and work for his company. And I said, no. And his immediate reaction was, how much is the other company paying you? I'll, I'll, I'll pay you more. And I said, actually, I'm leaving my job to go into ministry and serve Jesus, and I'm going to get a 50% pay cut. He thought I was crackers. Like, he just could not understand in that moment why I would want to do that. But in that moment, I understood who I belonged to. I said, God, I understand that I belong to you. I am not my own. My career is not mine. It's yours. My plans, see, my plans don't matter. Your plans matter. I am yours, Lord. And you've called me into ministry. And I say yes to your plans. And I remember in that moment, sitting in that restaurant, that my heart was pounding through my chest. It was terrifying but it was exhilarating at the same time. It was a defining moment in my life, a moment of truth where I realized, wow, this whole life thing is real and it changes everything. 
What I want doesn't matter. It's what he wants that really matters. And whilst that was over 10 years ago, the question I ask today of you and of me today is, what decisions are we making today that is evidence that we still understand that we are not our own? What decisions are you making? So let me challenge you today and say, can you look to, to every day to various decisions that you make and say, I made that decision because I don't belong to myself. I've been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. He's calling the shots in my life. That's why I made that decision. I believe that we should find our lives every day peppered with decisions, big and small, that reveal that we know that we belong to God. That all we are and all that we have is His. I want us to look at the story of Samuel and his mom Hannah today. And she was a real person who really struggled in this area just as much as we do. But her struggle is inspiring. Her obedience shows, shows us the way. So let's take a look. But before we get into the Scripture, let me just give you a quick background to, of Hannah's story up to this point that we're going to read from. You see, Hannah, she really struggled with infertility, and she so wanted to be a mum, and it just was not happening. Then to add to pain to her misery, her husband comes to her and he says, darling, husband, this is the worst thing ever to do. He comes, darling, I really, really need to have kids. And since you're not able to provide me then with them, I'm going to go and marry a second wife. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's the worst thing ever. It's not a good plan. See, in this story, that second wife, she was very fertile and the kids were abundant. And in her, in, in her case, but the poor Hannah, she then started to do that comparison thing that we all do. She was like, wow, man, that woman is living my dream. And it was so difficult for Hannah in that moment. But Hannah, I believe Hannah shows us how to live with broken dreams and how to turn in the moment to God. She went to the, the temple in the city of Shiloh and she cried out to God and found encouragement that she needed to face that discouragement in her life. So let's have a look. And we're going to start from 1 Samuel chapter 1 at verse 9. And I just want to encourage you, if you're looking up in your Bible or on your iPad or your phone, just keep it open there at 1 Samuel chapter 1. So verse 9, it will be up on the screens also. It says there, Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if, you, if, only, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. She makes a promise to God. And some people would argue that she was almost bargaining with God in that moment. If you do this for me, then I will do this for you. And maybe her motives in that moment were more pure and she's saying, God, I'll show you that I'll not love the gift more than the giver. I'll demonstrate it by giving him back to you. And we can't be, be sure exactly what was happening in Hannah's heart in this moment, but she has this notion of, I'm going to give my son back to you. She had in mind this unique plan, and that was to go back to Shiloh, to Eli the high priest, and essentially give this child over to be adopted by Eli. Her vision was that her potential son would be trained by Eli, raised by Eli, to be mentored by this high priest. 
so that her, her son could serve as a priest, and that through his whole life, it would be devoted at the temple to serving and worshiping God. She made a vow, and God, in fact, did bring her a son named Samuel. But, she will, but will she follow through on this, with these vows that she's made this day? So let's have a look further on in the story at verse 22. It says, When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. See, we see that Elkanah had apparently had a vow of his own, and he was like, Lord, I promise you, I will worship you every time as I have been instructed. And we can contrast Elkanah's obedience to Hannah as she says, eh, eh, no, no, I'm not going to go with you. And I believe that this is evidence of some wavering in, in Hannah's heart. Where she knows that if I take my little baby to this place where I vowed I will leave him there, she's like, ah, I can't do it. I just can't do it. She's struggling. She's avoiding the, this location of conviction in her life. And you know, being there would just bring to the forefront of her mind the promises that she's made beforehand. And she cannot do it in that moment. And verse 22 continues with Hannah saying to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord. After the boy is weaned. See, in those days, a mother would nurse her child for two or three years. And so I'm sure she was stretching it out for as long as she could. She probably stretched it as long as she could, but she had an explanation as to why she must delay. And I just see this again as wavering in her life, but at the same time, though, it's totally understandable why she'd be wavering in this vow she made to God. And I want to, to look at one little detail. Let's compare verse 11 and verse 22. In verse 11, we see what she promised in the moment. It says there, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. But contrast that to what she then said in verse 22. Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So she promised, I will give him my son to the Lord all the days of his life, not from year three, but all the days. The decision she's making to go back just differs a little bit from the promise that she originally made. It's a compromise and a struggle and look, but one day, it's totally understandable why she does that. Why she does that. This is a baby that she longed for, that she prayed for, and now she was going to have to give him, give him up. And it's easy for us to read back over that story today with hindsight and be critical of her, but how do our day-to-day -day decisions reflect that we, you and I, belong to God? And I love her husband's response. Husbands, listen up. In verse 23, it starts off by saying, do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Let me tell you, that is some great advice for you husbands out there. When you're responding to your wife, do what seems best to you. Does my bum look big in this? Just do what look, seems best to you. Best advice ever. Just do what seems best to you. Then he goes on and says, stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Elkanah agreed, stay here for now, but may the Lord help you 
keep your promise in the future. Her husband knows about the promise, and he knows that that promise is important. See, at some point along the way, she must have confided in her husband. Man, I can imagine that conversation. Oh, darling, I'm so excited about having a baby. It's the answer to my prayers. But hey, I need to tell you something. I told God that if he'll give me a son, then I will give that son back to him, and here's what I had in mind. Can you imagine being on the end of that story and hearing that from your wife? For this son that you've longed for and prayed for, suddenly you were going to give him up. But interestingly enough, though, Elkanah had decided that this premise, this, this vow, it must be God's will. You see, there's a way that he could have easily weaseled out of this vow. There's a curious verse found in Numbers chapter 30 that he could have used if he didn't believe it was God's will. Who likes reading the book of Numbers? I'm currently reading that as part of my Bible in a year plan. Oh man, it's some heavy going stuff. But there's this really curious verse in there, in verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 8. And it says there, But if her husband forbids her when he hears about it, he nullifies the, the vow that ob- obligates her, or the rash promise by which she obligates herself, and the Lord will release her. See, he could have heard Hannah's story and said, Wow, that's crazy. No way. We'll have to rethink. We're not going to go there. And he could have released them both from the vow that she had taken in that moment. But Elhanah, he did not invoke that opportunity. He saw it as a holy, sacred vow. He saw it as the will of God in their life. So his challenge to his wife, Hannah, may God give you the strength to fulfill your vow. I just love verse 23 because I see some great stuff in that verse. There's so much wisdom in that statement, whatever you think. See, I think Elkanah is saying to Hannah, this is your call. This is your choice. This decision, I'm not going to go to Shiloh to worship. I don't want to be a part of this decision. It's as if he's saying to her, you you make the choice here. And I think he's saying in this moment, I think you're being tested. I think this is God's way of seeing if you'll follow through with your vow. And sometimes God tests us to see how serious we are about acknowledging that all we have, including our kids, all belongs to Him. You may remember that Abraham was once asked, would you be willing to give up Isaac, your only son? And then he passed the test. And let me tell you, Elkanah knows that story. He knows that story. So he also says, sister, whatever you think is best. He doesn't say whatever you think you prefer or whatever you think you want in this moment. He knows this is not about her preference, but it's all about what is right in this moment. He was reminding her that certain decisions might run contrary to our heart's desire, but if it's God's will, and if we recognize that we are His, and that everything we have is His, then we need to do what God is asking us to do. We choose to do what is right and what is best. We desire His will instead of what we want. And that's a really encouraging phrase. Uh, sorry, and then going to say the phrase, may the Lord help you. May the Lord help you. And I, I think that's a really encouraging phrase for me personally. See, sometimes for me, it's really hard to surrender all my personal desires and, and choose what, what I know that God wants. It's hard for me, and I'm sure it's hard for you in those moments. In fact, it's so hard. We need the help to make that choice in our lives. 
But the Holy Spirit can move in us and it can help us rise up in heroic fashion to make this self-denying choice, the God-exalting, obedient choice in our life. See, Elkanah, he knows that she needs God's help in this moment. So in one sense, he's praying, Lord, help my wife. Show that you are number one, that your will is best, that you will help her keep her vow to you. What happens? Let's have a look. Verse 24 starts with this. After he was weaned, this was the membership promise, after he is weaned that Hannah made earlier, the minute he's weaned, I will give him over. So here we are. Samuel is weaned. Verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. So here, here she is, she's visiting Shiloh, she's got Samuel with her, and we skip on to verse 26, and it says, she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for, this, for his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Can you imagine in that moment, she probably had to go and explain to Eli what she was thinking. What, what I mean is this, would you be willing to adopt my son, to train him up as your own, teach him the ways of serving God in this place, so that he could be devoted eh, to begin in ministry, worshiping the Lord and helping worship the Lord at the tabernacle? Eli must have been like, what? You want me to adopt your boy? Can you imagine? I hope nobody ever comes and asks me. <laughs> it's like, Wow. Apparently, though, Eli agreed because let's have a look what it says in the very next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Then the Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. So it was a victory. You know, Hannah was struggling, and we understand her struggle. But in the moment of truth, she rode up and made a choice that reflected that she understood, I am not my own. It's not about what I want. It's what God wants, and I will obey Him even when it's most difficult. And today we celebrate the dedication of four children later in our service here. And here in Found Church, we believe the gospel, and therefore we believe that Jesus should be the center of every single home. We believe the home should be a place where God's Word is read, where it's heard, loved, and embraced in such a way that Jesus and all that He has done and said is discovered so He can become a living reality to every single member of the family. Our whole goal as a family should be a life of commitment to follow Jesus. Why? Because we are so overwhelmed by His goodness and His love towards us. A public baby dedication should mark a single moment in the lifetime of a child's dedication to Jesus. See, in dedicating a child, we're not merely dedicating a child, but the whole family is renewing their dedication to Jesus as the center of their family and following Him as their highest commitment. See, when we dedicate a baby, we are saying a few things. We're practicing the example of Jesus as Scripture, as He went and as He was presented in the temple and given to the Lord from Luke chapter 2. Presenting them and giving them to their prophetic destiny, just as Simeon prophesied over Jesus again in Luke chapter 2. We're declaring that God's unrelenting care of, concern for, and blessing over the child being dedicated, just as Simeon and Anna did over Jesus. 
dedicating the child in ceremonial form so the entire church, you and I, can acknowledge with us that our child is a gift from God, created by a heavenly Father and entrusted to us and the church to raise up to follow Jesus Committing our hearts and our homes to live as godly parents who love Jesus with all our hearts, who will pray for our children with deep spiritual devotion, who will not be a stumbling block to our children by living for ourselves, but will in all things seek to walk faithfully before God who has done so much for us. She's dedicating her child to God as an expression of her commitment to persevering faithfulness and raising her children out of love for the gospel, out of love for Jesus and all that he has done. Let me tell you, a Christian home does not serve God to get God's love, but serves and follows because of God's love. And as the band comes, I just want to say to you today about this challenge that's been laid before us. And I want to challenge you today like I've been challenged in preparing this message. I challenge you to look over your whole life, where are those moments of truth in your life where you make decisions that show that you understand that you are not your own? That He calls the shots. Why? Because you belong to Him. And let me tell you, I don't always get it right. But every day I'm learning. I want every day to say, God, listen, it's not my life, it's your life. Just say the word and I'll obey. I want our decisions, big and small, to reflect our understanding and conviction that we have surrendered our whole lives to God. That Jesus has bought us at a price and we are His. And I would love to be able to pray for you today. And I just want to encourage everybody, if you're able to stand here in this room, I just want to pray for all of us today. And if you feel comfortable, can I encourage you just to, to put your hands out in front of you as though you were receiving a gift. But actually, in, in doing this, it's just an act of surrender, saying that you are surrendering all to Jesus. God, we surrender. And as we open our hands in prayer, it's a gesture that just shows that we get it, that I get it. We want to live in a way that conveys, conveys we're all yours. What we want each day is not the point. It's what you want. God, help us to make decisions, even this week, that reveal our conviction, our belief that we are yours. May our lives be a beautiful reflection that everything we have, everything we are, belongs to you. And for anyone struggling in this area, we pray that today will be the day that they surrender all to you. Holy Spirit, will you show us the areas of our lives that we need to surrender to you? Areas that we say, not our will, but yours be done. And Father, we thank you that when we get it wrong, that your loving grace picks us up and allows us to try again and again. Father, we pray that our decisions, big and small, will reflect our understanding and conviction that we have surrendered our whole lives to you. That Jesus has bought us at a price and we are his. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.